0: Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's BYTE.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This is a show. No, no. Should I go slow? Cause I gotta know now. It's just a tip. I got you, don't trip. Perspective, I flip. See I don't sip. I'm making my tune. It's just a tip. We're not legit. I got Welcome to another episode of Just a Tip, the podcast that's equally about its tangents as it is about its tips. Today is a very, I think, pivotal episode because of the entirety of the podcast, I've never recorded an episode alone. And you know why? It's because I didn't think I could do it alone. In the very beginning, I felt like I needed training wheels because I've never done a podcast before. I didn't know if I was funny enough or if I could engage people for at least an hour by myself. And so I think what I want to do with this is just see if I can. I asked you on Instagram stories to send in a bunch of questions. I want to see how many that I can answer and if this works... And if you like it, maybe I'll do a little bit more of these. I just recently launched an exclusive corner of the internet called The Corner Project. It is on Substack, which is a monthly subscription-based model. And I'm putting a bunch of exclusive content there. Things that I don't put anywhere on the open ocean of the sharky waters of the internet. Stuff that I feel like is a safe space for us to become a more integrated community. You know what? I just have a little bit of issue with the open internet. (laughs) It's not treated me great, but then it's also given me the best community that I could have ever asked for. So I'm basically reserving a booth in the corner of the restaurant that is the world where you can sit and we can break bread together. Wow. Cute. Okay. So if you like this, head over to meganbatoon.substack.com. You can read all about what I'm going to be putting over there and see if you want to join. It would be awesome to have you. I cannot wait. I'm really, truly excited about it. It feels like a passion project. So... Without further ado, let's get into some cues. So before I try to answer as many questions as possible, I posted this story this morning and my internet went down about 30 minutes ago. So I only have the questions that got in in the beginning. So that's what we're gonna answer. We'll start simple. I just had my 30th birthday and one of the questions is how was your birthday? I feel like everybody that I talked to on my birthday about what I was doing was very confused. I feel like everybody was like, that's all you're doing. But in my mind, I am an inherent introvert. I don't like big parties. I don't like a lot of people. I don't like a lot of attention. I don't like opening my gifts in front of other people. I don't really like when people are singing happy birthday to me. Like, I definitely want to hide all the time. And knowing that, and knowing my personality type, that like, if I'm really engaged in something, like if I go to Disneyland and I have a great time, and the next day I wake up and I'm sad because I'm not at Disneyland anymore, then I'm like. <sighs> I set myself up for failure because I was having a good time and now today I'm not. So in my 20s, I learned about post-birthday crash, which for me was basically anytime that I had a really good time. I had a bunch of people at my house or I go to a concert or do like five escape rooms it sets my, I don't even know what chemical it alters in my brain state, but I get really yoked on it. And then the next day I am really sad. And so I don't want to like get into that depressive mood. And the one way that I knew to do that was to just have a great relaxing day on my birthday. So I would say this is one of my better birthdays as well, because it's also like when people plan my birthday for me, I'm such a particular person and I'm coming to terms with this that like, I just need to know what I want and to tell people what I want. So I got a few charcuterie bards, which was amazing from different people. I went to the park with a bunch of friends, not even a bunch. I went to the park with like four friends. We just sat and drank rosé and read our own books and talked. And then we came home and watched The Great Gatsby and ate Chick-fil-A catering. That w- And I was in bed by like 9.30. It was One of the best birthdays ever. I woke up today. I was really inspired to like clean and work and design around my house. It was amazing. Highly suggest that if you're anywhere like me on the birthday crash scale, take it easy on your birthday. Okay, let's see what else. Someone said, you inspire me to be me. Who inspires you? First of all, that's awesome oh my gosh, that's all I want to do. Now that I understand what it feels like to be authentically myself, I can't believe it took so long to get here. But like, that's the thing. It's going to take a long time to get here, but it's worth every step of the way. Oh my God. Every step that you take is like one step away from what doesn't actually serve you and what you think you need to be. I am not afraid to walk confidently away from what I don't actually like. Staying on topic though, who inspires me? I lo- actually really love this question because I remember being asked this question maybe five years ago and I only mentioned men. It was like Dimitri Martin and Bo Burnham and all of these male standups. And now I think all of the people that inspire me are really powerful, independent women. I think I'm inspired by anybody that isn't afraid to do something different and do something very authentic to what they do. Like, like, uh, there's an interior designer named Kelly Worsler, and she has a very bold, striking design style. She's not afraid of color. She she mixes a bunch of decades and clashes cultures, and it's really bold. I I love the fact that she has turned kind of like a quirky style into something that everybody is pinning on their Pinterest boards. I love Donna Missile because I think she's so ridiculously talented, but she is also bold in her own way. She does what she wants. She's got a very like rock and roll vibe. She has fire engine red hair like the right way. I had fire engine red hair, but you know. There's the right and the wrong way to do things, and that's fine. I also really like Billie Eilish right now. I think that she is a great depiction of what a true artist looks like. She's so young, but she knows what she wants. And of course, we all have so much to learn. And I can't even imagine like being that famous, that young. I feel like she's doing a really good job dealing with it. I think she has a good head on her shoulders. She's super bold. She knows what she likes, and she's very authentic. So I think like... Those three women are kind of my my like holy trinity. Next. Another question says do you or how do you work out? I actually haven't worked out since like last March. And that's so crazy for me to say because working out and fitness was so important to me. When it made me feel good. But the thing is, when I was doing it, I was getting endorphins for sure, but I wasn't working out to make myself feel good. I was working out as a way to like punish myself for what I was eating. I had a really, really not healthy relationship with food for a long time. And I do want to make a diet culture video on my channel. Now I do these sit down videos that are called The Corner, which It is the the birthplace of the corner project. So it all comes full circle. I remember one of the comments on one of my videos in the corner was like, this is a video version of just a tip. So if you like this podcast, check out the corner on my YouTube channel and then check out the corner project on Substack. And it's all intertwined because I think the more that I learn about myself, the more I'm able to show up the same way in all of these different platforms. I used to think that Instagram was for fashion pictures and comedy and Snapchat was for like secrets and also comedy and Twitter was for jokes. Now I'm just like, okay, all these are extensions of reaching different people of how to become a little bit more in tune with us and more authentic. So all the way back to your question, when I was working out in the past, it was never for my own good. It was for what I thought I needed to do in order to fit somebody else's expectations and my expectations of myself that were placed by other people mainly society if pilates studios were open in los angeles i would be going probably 2 to 3 times a week i absolutely love pilates on reformer i've never done mat pilates i like reformer pilates because it's very difficult if you want it to be and you're in charge of yourself. Like you're able to navigate and pivot whenever you think you need a little bit more challenge. And it's really about listening to your body. It's a lot about acceptance. There's a great saying that one of my instructors used to say, if you were doing something on your right leg, say you're doing like a big right leg lunge and you're crushing it, you're killing it, you're great. And then you do the left side and you're expecting to be exactly the same but she always said different side, different story. And I really like that because although it was in a Pilates class, I think that could be applied to life in a 360 degree way. If you're talking about a scenario of something that just happened, there's always another side to that story. I think that was a huge thing for me to understand when it comes to having compassion for other people and compassion for myself. Other than that, I was telling a friend of mine the other day, like not a lot of workouts feed me in a physical and psychological way that pilates does yoga i'm not about even though it would be really good for me and like gentle on my body and helping me breathe and like it's just i'm bored i'm bored a lot and if you have any tips on that send them my way but honestly i think i'm good i found what i like i'm the type of person that will try anything once and if i like it i'm gonna be all about it pilates is that thing for me Ooh, i like this question a lot it says how to overcome the fear of starting a new project i learned this tip a couple years ago, and it's really helped me in making the first move. When I dream up something, I am a really big dreamer, and I go hi-fi really quickly. I remember like one of the first times I wanted to start making different videos, I wanted like a red camera, which is like a couple thousand dollars. I don't need that. I'm making YouTube videos, but for some reason, I want it to be the best all the time. I want movie quality shit, I want everything to be really good, because I... I really enjoy high quality things. I wish I didn't. My bank account would be a lot more happy. But I think what was most important for me to understand was breaking down a goal into smaller goals. If I came up with an idea of saying like, I wanna start the corner project, an entire publication or a new podcast, I would have so many ideas and not really know where to go with them because my mind just goes everywhere. I wanna do everything and I wanna do it the best. But what I realized is like, done is better than perfect. And this is something that I'm gonna make another video on because it's so much really vital information that I think everyone could benefit from. I could dream up the best thing in the world. It would blow everyone's minds. I would feel super fulfilled and my purpose is there. It would be incredible. The thing is, if all I do is dream it, and don't do anything about it, it doesn't exist. It's a fantasy, it's an abstract concept. You can't share it, you can't touch it, you can't interact with it. It's not taking up any space except for what's in your mind. I think one of the most daunting things is a blank canvas, but it's also one of the most exciting things. That's why I love moving, because I can start over again. I'm a new version of myself, I'm a new person, so now I can decorate the external everything to match what I feel internally. And so I think overcoming the fear of starting a new project really just starts with what do you really want to do? And what is the reason you want to do it? And what's the first step that you can do in order to achieve that goal? Think of the thing that you want to do as a project, and then write down maybe like big bullet points of what you would need. Say that I'm making a new podcast. I need the idea. I need graphics. I need a one-line intro. I need a theme song, potentially. I need a microphone. So then you start to see the outline of the project. Then under the outline, then you can start making smaller tasks like Research microphones, write down keywords of the concept, go on thesaurus.com and find words that you might like in the title. Like, break down bigger goals into tinier goals. And then I came across this video on YouTube. It was like randomly suggested to me and I'm so glad that it was. It was like one line in a bigger video and I and the creator just like blew over this really massive tip. And it was, if you can do it in two minutes, do it right now. And so once you write down all of these mini tasks, if anything could be done in two minutes, do it quicker. I'm not sure if that would work for everybody, but for me, that really works because when I do a small task, it makes me feel better and it almost like fuels me in order to have some momentum in order to keep doing smaller tasks. And then by the time I get to a big task, it's like I have the confidence because I've done so much already that I'm I'm ready to crush this one too. I know for some people and one of my close friends, they like to do the hardest stuff up top. So if you've got a really big task, you could do it right up top in the morning and then after that... Everything is easy. Then you can start crushing your smaller tasks. Either way, I think the main key to this is that you can break one goal into much, much, much smaller mini goals that you might not be thinking about. This is one example for me, even when it comes to returning Amazon packages. Instead of just writing return Amazon packages on my to-do list, I will say start Amazon returns package amazon returns drop off amazon returns i made one goal three mini goals and that makes it so much easier to even make the first step other than i guess goal planning just know that the project is going to shape itself in whatever way is natural if you put in your energy into it and feel what feels natural and don't try and steer it into a direction that it's not going because then it's not gonna be fun for anyone. I'm telling everyone this, if you are not having fun, it is not worth your time. Even something as stupid, not stupid, it's not stupid to wash your dishes, but even something as mundane as dishwashing, if you can make that fun, you can make anything fun. And I'm not in the business of doing anything that's not fun for me. I've done so many non-fun things forever that I'm just over it. And I know that some people are like, there's some things that just can't be fun. If you've tried everything to make it fun and it's still not fun, sometimes we just have to do that and like, okay, fine. The rest of your time, you can do everything in your power to make it fun and it's going to be so much better for you. It's going to make it easier. If we use fun as our compass, we will never be led astray. Keep creating what's authentic to you that feeds your curiosity and have fun with it. You will never end up in the wrong place and your project is going to be exactly what you want, if not better, because you are actually bringing life into it. The life that is already in you versus pushing something that may not be natural and won't really resonate with people. Smaller tasks. Main things, smaller tasks. Have fun. Okay, next one. I think we can get two more before we go on a break. Someone asks, best tip for trying to create a physical space that feels like myself oh, I have gone through this so many times. Oh my gosh. One, this is the easiest thing that everybody can do right now and it's free, is go around your room, go around your space and take out things that don't make you feel fucking awesome. If you have something around, like a piece of decoration or a piece of furniture or a rug or something that like was you once, but you don't really resonate with it now, it doesn't make you happy, it doesn't make you feel like the way that you wanna feel, take it out, put it somewhere where you can't see it, and keep repeating that so that all that's left are things that really make you feel good. This costs no money. If you if it's like a dresser and you need it, try to adjust it in some way. Try to take off everything on the countertop and then only place what you really do like on the countertop. There's so many ways to highlight the things that you really like. And I think the best thing is also to not copy 100% somebody else's space. If you see something on Pinterest and you're really inspired by it, ask yourself why you're inspired by it. Is it the colors? Is it the textures? Is it the way it's laid out? Is it the amount of greenery? Is it the minimalism? Start feeling what you are gravitated towards and then I'm, I'm such a list person, like you can make a list of those things. But what I normally do is I make a Pinterest board and I start to see the things that are similar about it. And then I start to find whatever's in my house already and start playing around. Every single morning, I think I move things around and it takes a little bit of time to see what feels good to you. But I think design is such a an experimental journey. It's a journey. I don't think my design will ever be done, but it starts to become a little bit more and more me based off of me living in the space. So make some changes and then live with the space and see how it makes you feel when you wake up and what do you wish was there? And when you go to sleep, what do you wish was there? It's, it's almost like, how do you give yourself everything that you want to feel with things that are physical. That's why I used to get mad when people are like, design is just aesthetic. It's so far from that. I say that like if you design something aesthetically, you've only done half or you've done more than half. You've done like 80% of it. But I think that like adding candles and adding lighting and adding things that bring in other of the senses because design for so many people is just visual. But when you think about actually being in the space, Now you're bringing in touch because there's textures. How does the couch feel? How does your feet feel on the rug? There's tone. Like the color temperature of lighting is a whole nother thing. Like that's visual, but that's also feeling. That's a mood. That's a vibe. That's everything. And then you bring in a candle. You bring in a scent. You bring in some sort of like aged leather patinas. All this stuff has... A scent to it. So, you're, those are your olfactory senses, which are really connected to your memory. Design is a 360 degree and all five senses type of craft and art. I think the best tip for trying to create a physical space that feels like yourself is ask yourself what you like to feel like and what makes it feel like you, and then curating. I also read somewhere that a design should be curated and collected not decorated. Like you should never have a decorated room because that makes it feel like you just bought an entire showroom from whatever, Pottery Barn, West Elm, IKEA, whoever it may be. But a collected room is little things that you've you've wanted to keep through your years. If there's something that you really love this book or like lo- you love this cup, you love this sculpture, you love this whatever, keep a hold on to it because it speaks to you in some way. And once you start putting things together, It's a collection. Another thing that was really vital is actually interior design language. And for me, I used to hear a bunch of interior designers talking about the relationship between things. And they would always like give inanimate objects. uh, What's the word? It's like, um, not onomatopoeia, um, anthropomorphic. They would anthropomorphize inanimate objects. And that just means giving something that doesn't have a heartbeat human-like qualities. Like if this wood breathes or this, um, it's like the window singing. It's tight. Ty- this type of language really helped because it was like, oh, if I regard objects with life and equality and like they do things understood now, how do all these things interplay? How does the chair interact with the console table. Are they in conversation? Which means like, they can both have their own different ideas. Like you could have like a mid-century console, but then like a postmodern and 80s, a fluffy, a shag chair or something. And now they're in conversation because... They, one of them has like hard edges and one of them has soft edges. When you think about everything having duality, that's the same thing in design. You can have something that challenges something else. Something with curves might look really nice with something with hard edges or like a black or metallic or shiny, something that has difference. You don't want everything to be the same level. Because then it becomes one note and it's almost like a themed birthday party. And you're like, okay, we get it that you were going for like this 70s vibe, but like it, it's just, it feels a little dusty and old in here. You want to make sure that you're mixing and matching. That was the biggest thing I learned from bathing suits. Was not like the size or the cut. It was, oh, you can mix and match and things are now new and different. That is a huge lesson I learned from swimwear that I also use in interiors is mix and match things that make you feel better. I would also say just because the place that you live in may have a little nook for breakfast, or this is a dining room when you bought it, does not mean that you need to keep it the same. I do not have a dining room in my house because I don't really have dinners at the table. Like if I'm going to have a dinner party, I will go downstairs under this like pergola area that I've created. I work in my office. I work in another sitting room. There's so many different ways to set up your space that doesn't need to be traditional. Just because you had a guest bedroom when you were growing up doesn't mean you need a guest bedroom in your house now. It's going to go back to lists, but I think writing a list of what you want in a space will make designing the space so much easier. It always comes from feeling. What do you want to feel like? Anytime I'm designing for another friend or myself, I ask myself what I want to feel like and what the purpose of the space is. And then with those two things, then you can run wild. Oh, this is my favorite thing. I could talk literally forever about this concept, but we're going to take a break and we'll be right back. We, me and all of my passions, I guess, are going to be right back after the break. (laughs) Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. And we're back. I don't even know how many questions I answered in the first half, which I feel like wasn't a lot. So I'm going to try and go a little bit faster. And if I still don't get a lot of questions, then we'll just do this again if you like it. Tweet me at Batune your thoughts on this or DM me on Instagram. I just started replying to DMs and let me know what you think about this because that's the only way that I can hear back. Podcasts are weird because you don't really get much feedback. That's why I like the Substack community so much. If you were driving and couldn't at the time, make a note to check out the Substack because I love that community. The fact that we are able to talk to each other much easier over there because I don't have to check like Twitter and Instagram and all these places. Everything is in one place. It's much easier for us to have a community. Let me know over there what you think. Everything is going to be free for a little bit before things become paid. So just check it out anyway. See if it's something that you would be into and would like in your life. And we can go from there. Okay. Let's get comfortable. Comfortable. Okay. I'm switching positions. It's like the non non-sexy version of Ariana Grande. I'm literally in like fuzzy slippers and in a huge ass couch and I'm having a great time. So thank you for listening. Thank you for being here. I don't even know how many episodes we've done. I can't believe it's, I can't believe it. I can't believe we've gotten to this point. Just a little bit of gratitude right now. This is really cool. And the fact that I'm doing this myself right now, that's awesome. I never, ever thought that I would be able to carry on a conversation worth listening to by myself for so long. And I'm doing it. Yay. (laughs) Okay. This question asks, what advice would you have for someone who struggles to form good mental health habits? Okay, this is what I'm going to say. Is I went to a seminar one time and the instructor said that he had a colleague that was a very successful Beverly Hills or some sort of like celebrity plastic surgeon, right? The plastic surgeon said that he likes to do conservative surgeries because when people come in and want a massive shift and they want something that's like completely not what they look like, they're going to look insane. And he was like, I'm an artist. I'm a sculptor in its own way. And I can't sign off to do this because I wouldn't be proud of the work that I'm doing. What people need to realize is like, he had a rule that people would come in and said he would only operate them if they got a procedure that was within two millimeters of what they already look like because he didn't want them to look unnatural. People think that they want a bigger change, but when something really changes too much at a specific time, it becomes sort of traumatic in that way. The most important thing here is the fact that Two millimeters of a change should be all that we are striving for. We don't want a 180 switch. And that's so crazy coming from me because I'm such a gung-ho, doer, sanguine energy person. As soon as I have an idea, I am executing it. And the thing is, sometimes I wanted to do a 180 switch and that's just not doable. It's like a race car. If you are trying to back up in a race car... You have to full-on stop. You have to slow down. Then you have to stop. Then you have to put the gear in reverse, And then you can reverse. Those are like five different steps. It's not a quick change. Those five different steps are five different two millimeters. So I think the biggest piece of advice I would have for someone who's struggling to form good mental health habits is one, you should already be proud of yourself for wanting that. There are so many people that don't want to form good mental health habits. And that's fine for them. Me, I'm in a different camp. This is a different corner. Like take what works for you and leave the rest and that's completely fine. But the fact that you even want that is something to celebrate. The fact that you want that means that you can have that. My friend Addie always says therapy isn't for people that need it. It's for people that want it because you have to take the first step. I would say habits are just tiny little two millimeter tweaks to whatever you're already doing. There's a book called Atomic Habits, and one of the chapters talks about habit stacking. And it's basically saying that you can insert a new habit of something that you want to achieve by just adding it on to something that you already naturally do, that you don't have to think about, that you don't have to write. It's something that when you wake up, if you wake up and you brush your teeth right away every single day, then you can add on another habit after you brush your teeth that will help you with what you want to do. And I think I've talked about this on the podcast before, but I'll repeat it here. If you say that you want to become a writer and you never get to sit down and write because, I don't know, maybe you've never done it before. Maybe it's scary. Maybe you think you're bad. Whatever it might be, just get in the habit of doing one thing that will help your main goal of writing after you're already doing something else. To explain this a little bit easier, if I want to start writing... I wake up in the morning, I brush my teeth. I already brush my teeth. I do that every time. Don't even think about it. I brush my teeth. Then I tell myself, after I blank, and this is the active verb that you already do. So in this case, it's brushing my teeth. After I brush my teeth, then I will blank. And this is doing one thing that's going to help your goal. So say that I want to be a writer. Then I will sit down for five minutes and free write. Great. Then... I don't know if it said it in the book or if I'm adding this one, but I do think having a designated place really does help. So you could be like, this is what the Mad Lib mental health habit forming sentence would look like. Every day after I blank, and that's the thing that you already do, I will blank. That is a two millimeter shift in the direction of what you want to do in blank. And that is the place where you have dedicated to do it. I think a dedicated place really helps because in terms of work play, like having an office in my house makes me feel like when I'm in the office, I am working. I also like the idea of if you are at all spiritual or religious, having some sort of altar is like, that is where I meditate. It makes the place and the thing that you're doing more intentional because you have like made a pact with yourself that this is the place where you do that thing. So if I filled in the blanks of that template of what this hypothetical situation would be, it would say every day after I brush my teeth, I will write for five minutes in my office chair. And then you would start to get in a habit of doing that. And then habit stacking is when you add another two millimeter shift on top of that. So then say that I also like, wanted to pick up yoga. I would just add yoga onto the thing that I've already done that I don't have to think about anymore. So every day after I brush my teeth, I free write for five minutes and then I do 10 minutes of yoga. Then it starts to become a routine. And as humans, we love routine. We love we love things that we know. We're creatures of comfort as much as we want to not be sometimes, we find comfort in the things that we are familiar with. And so the more that you can solidify a routine, then it's easier to add new habits and develop mental health habits that really make a lasting change. For me, there were so many things that I wanted to do in order to have good mental health habits. And the one thing that like, I think my first habit stacking thing was every time I woke up, I would write, 10 things that I'm grateful for in my notes app. And then one thing that I'm proud of myself for. (gasps) I forgot to do that today. Oh my God, I'm horrible at giving advice because I didn't do it. But here's the thing, now I remembered and now I'm gonna do it. Sometimes you're not gonna remember the order of things that you need to do, but the more that you do them, it's gonna feel, something is gonna feel off and you're gonna be recording a podcast and remember that you didn't do your thing and then you're gonna do it. So- best advice would be two millimeter habits. This next question says, how do I stop being afraid of vulnerability and intimacy? I can only really answer this question from me before I was vulnerable and intimate and now, because I think I was so scared of being hurt. I think I had so many walls up and I had so much armor that nobody could get in and I couldn't get out. It was like a block it was a fence between me and the real world. And the only person that was keeping that gate up was my ego. I think I was so afraid of being hurt again and betrayed. And, you know, I've like been in situations where I just was like being yelled at. I was getting cheated on. I, people were doing things behind my back. People were becoming friends and like cutting me out. Like it, I would introduce people and they would become way closer friends and I would feel really left out and betrayed because of that. I think I was really scared to be intimate with someone because I was so afraid of being hurt. And I think I was stopping myself from even giving myself the chance to be close with someone because I knew that that would open myself to being hurt. And it just took a lot of healing internally and myself to know that that is a risk. Like risk and reward go hand in hand and falling in love is a big risk, but it is the biggest reward. And not only falling in love with somebody else, I think even with loving yourself, in order to get the reward of loving yourself, you have to risk a lot of uncomfortability and kind of everything that you know and kind of deconstructing everything that you have ever known it's a huge risk to start to see your family and friends and siblings and all of these people that have helped shape you as maybe not the most healthy. I think it takes like a really discerning eye to know what is actually helpful now versus what was helpful when you learned it. I think this question goes so much further than the time that I'm able to dedicate to it right now because I think that there's so many different little steps and I don't know if you keep on listening and check out like everything that I'm offering on the internet. I'm, I'm giving you like everything that I know because self love, self acceptance, really, and therapy and mental health has changed my life more than I could have ever imagined. And I don't think that there's one answer to this. I think it's an amalgamation of every single thing that you can get your hands on in order to understand yourself and open up and kind of see what's been holding you back and take the armor off because it is really scary. And honestly, wearing the armor for so long, you get used to it and you get used to operating like that. You get used to like, this is really funny, but like I do so much housework and so much yard work and I'm like slinging things around. I'm chopping wood, I am ripping things apart. And so like I get used to using that much force to do something that when I'm not, when I don't have like all of this equipment or these gloves on or all of this stuff on and I start dealing with wine glasses and I'm putting wine glasses in the dishwasher or taking them out, I end up smashing a lot of my glassware all the time because I go from one task to another, but I don't recalibrate for what I'm dealing with. I'm one minute sawing wood with a miter saw that is super heavy. And then I'm hammering something in and I'm using all of my force. And then I go inside and I start handling delicate glassware, not realizing that these are two very different things that require different amount of energy and I'm breaking shit left and right. And so I think that's the same exact thing is like, when I had a ton of armor on and then I would get into a relationship and I would try and be soft and intimate, I I would be like clanking around and it wouldn't be gentle and it wouldn't be soft and it wouldn't be easy to connect with me because I didn't like change gears. I think the transition from being armored up to vulnerable and intimate is like piece by piece. You got to take off like the helmet first and then you put your shield down and then here goes the sword. Like you can't just, yes, man, get naked (laughs) or wait, Bruce Almighty. Like you can't just do like a dive situation. All your clothes fall off. That's not how it is. You got to take off your armor piece by piece and then you'll be able to be a little bit more vulnerable and intimate without breaking things or being afraid of being broken. Again, that's a two millimeter shift. This question asks, how do you know you have to focus on yourself? I only feel like I need to focus on myself when something comes up and I don't like the way it feels. If something comes up and I have an aversion to it, that just means I have work to do and anything that you resist persists. So if something comes up and say for me, for me, the most easy thing to know that I have to work on is still comparing myself to others. Comparing despair is one of my biggest areas of improvement. And I've gotten so much better at it now. But the only thing I've realized that I can do is to like, just cut it off. As soon as I start comparing myself, I just stop doing it because I, I know the outcome of that and it never helps me. So I just know If something happens to you and it really bothers you for a really long time, like more than it should, or if you're talking to your friends and they're like, you're still talking about that, then I think that's something that you have to work on yourself. Like I just recently got a tattoo and I think I talked about this in one of my future videos coming up, so I'll briefly talk about it. But I got a tattoo and it really, I'm usually super stoked when I get tattoos and this tattoo was supposed to mean a ton to me. I've been wanting it for years and I just never had gotten it. And so I got the tattoo and it wasn't exactly what I wanted. And the only reason why I knew there was something to work on here was because I kept bringing it up and I wasn't able to let it go. If you can't let it go, then that means there's room to grow. (laughs) And that like kind of is cheesy, the fact that like it rhymed so much. But that's the honest truth of it. If something is coming up for you that is uncomfortable, Ask yourself why. You'll know you have something to focus on within yourself whenever you don't feel good. Emotions are like our compass. If your emotions are not great, then it's our job to understand why we're feeling like this. And once we can pinpoint what that is, then we can make our first two millimeter shift in order to start working on that part of us. Ooh, this one asks how to take every aspect of spectrum of emotion positively. Okay. I'm going to start by saying not every emotion is positive, but every emotion is valid. If you're feeling a specific way and listening to that emotion, even if it's negative, then you're doing a positive thing for yourself. I think taking stock of your emotions, whatever they are on the spectrum, is positive. Letting yourself feel all of the emotions that's positive. I think toxic positivity is very unhealthy. I mean, obviously it's got toxic in the title, but I think if if you've grown up in a society or a family or a group or community that says like, only to think on the bright side or like suck it up, it gets better, or you've been through worse. These are toxic positivity sayings and I don't subscribe to them and I don't really have time for them in my life. I think holding space for where you are or where somebody else is if somebody is coming to you with their emotions, the best thing, the most positive thing that we can do is accept our emotions, be aware of them, and use them as information. I will end on this last question. Someone asks, why did you begin your spiritual journey and how did you get started? Oh, man. Um, I think the first time that I called myself spiritual and not religious was... In my early 20s, I grew up Catholic and I do think some things from the Catholic Church has shaped me into who I am, good and bad. And I think once I got to an age to make decisions for myself, I realized that it wasn't so much the Catholic Church that I was into. It was like the good human qualities of like just being a good person and instilling instilling a moral compass. But at the same time, I think the moral compass got a little bit skewed because there's Catholic guilt in almost everything that I was doing. And so I think that I became more spiritual when I, I did believe in a higher power. I was never an atheist or a nihilist, even when I was dating nihilist stand up comedians. And I thought that was cool, but like, I never believed that there was nothing. And I never believed that there was one thing after I got out of the Catholic Church, after reading so many books about energy and quantum mechanics and just how things are made in the world, like on an atomic molecular level, I started to get really interested in like different dimensions. I'm just so open-minded to what could possibly be running this world we're in. And then I started looking for answers. And I'm honestly, I think one of my most open-minded friends because I will try anything just to see what I feel about it. Like I remember growing up and my mom didn't let us watch Harry Potter and psychics were of the devil. And so I was always too scared to do those things. But then when I grew up, I was like, wow, I'm like really interested in seeing a psychic and a palm reader and a tarot card person. And I've had different experiences with all of them. I've had some that were very, very cool and on point and very wildly Exactly what I needed to hear in that moment. And some that were like, I mean, he could have just been guessing, but it does ring true. And so it's really all about how you feel about it. And personally, I found some really cool things in like the spiritual realm. So we think it started with just wanting answers. I I wanted, I was so curious of what else could be out there and what I wasn't allowed to do when I was younger. And then going through a pretty big breakup. I just wanted, honestly, to know that I made the right decision. When you're breaking up with someone, I think it's a lot harder than to be broken up with because if you're being broken up with, okay, this person doesn't want to be with me. Okay, bye. Like you can go through the stages of grief and hate them for a little bit and then grow from it. And then you're done quicker. Every time that I Broke up with somebody, they ended up getting in a relationship sooner. And I think two of those ex boyfriends are engaged, if not about to get engaged. And like they got in these relationships way quicker than me because I was still second guessing if I made the right decision. I remember I broke up with one boyfriend and then I went to a psychic and was like, please tell me I made the right decision because I cannot live like this any longer. I can't live another day wondering if I made the wrong decision. And she had said, It was inevitable. Your breakup was inevitable. And it helped me so much. Even if it wasn't true at that time, that helped me immensely. And looking back now, yeah, it absolutely was inevitable. But even just hearing that helped so much and and solidified a little bit more of like it gave it gave spirituality some points, honestly, even though there's so many different submodalities of spiritualism. That was one that I liked in the moment. And so I think now after reading books about the law of attraction and listening to some other podcasts about it and trying it and doing some experiments with the energy field and seeing the difference, it's one thing to be like, oh yeah, I'm spiritual and like that's it. Then to like actually be working with the unseen energy and like magnetic forces. This sounds so crazy to some people, but I've tried, like in the law of attraction, affirmations, talking things to existence, that stuff is real, my dudes. Like I, oh my God, it's so crazy. And, and I'm amongst some like very cynical people and it's it's a different thing. Like people can feel the shift of energy. And, and once other people start to do some of these things and really try them, You're going to feel a difference. And the more you feel a difference, the more that you're going to want to keep feeling that. And I swear to God's energy is real. That is the only thing that like scientifically we can prove that energy is neither created nor destroyed. It can only be transferred. So I've probably been on a spiritual journey since that first breakup, which was probably in like 2013 or 14 or something like that. But I I feel like I have so much more to learn and I'm just so excited that the world and the universe really works with you. Your higher power, God, whatever you want to call it, it's all working for you once you decide to work with it. I think that's a great place to end this episode. Oh my God, I cannot believe we did it. This is a day to celebrate. Thank you so much for sending in all your questions. I only answered as many as I could, but... I will keep doing this if we like it. Again, I have the new project, the corner project on Substack. Go to meganbatoon.substack.com. See if you like it. And I guess I'll talk to you next time. I'm, I'm so happy. Oh my God, this is... See, if you want a firsthand account to how spirituality could help you, I'm right here. I'm your host, Megan Batune. Thank you so much for joining me. I'll see you guys next time on the next episode of Just a Tip.